0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 332 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard? Hey, Seth, I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing uh, well as well. It's an exciting time. Modern Horizons is out, and uh, I've been having fun with new cards. But before we get into all that, we have another co-host in Krim. How are you today, Krim? Uh, Counterspell is legal in modern.
1: That's So So I'm doing great. I'm so Krim's so life is good. That's that's all it takes. <laughs> yes, yes, it, it is. Modern is everything I've wanted it to be in a long time. Counterspell, Jace the Mind Sculptor is unbanned. These, these are just cards that are sweet.
0: Uh Yeah, well, I mean, we've kind of hinted a little bit at Modern Horizons 2, and that's going to be one of our topics for today. We're through spoiler season. The set is officially out on Magic Online. It is soon to be coming out in paper, so we're going to talk a little bit about actually playing with the set, what modern looks like, our impressions of it. Also want to talk a bit about historic. There was the Strixhaven Championship this weekend, uh, a big pro tour, I think-ish level tournament, but uh, some big historic news coming out of there and then we got an update today about secret layer and universes beyond that we wanted to talk about uh, and then fishmail of course so that is our plan for the cast today so let's jump into it and uh start talking modern horizons 2 so uh richard cram have y'all been playing modern since the news that came out like what what is your just initial impression to modern in modern horizons 2 now that we
1: actually have these new cards to play with uh, well, I'll be, I, I didn't get to have all the cards I wanted from Modern Horizons 2 for the games I did play. However, I already own the Counterspells. That card is sweet. <laughs> it's not broken. I, I think, I think that, uh, it's, it's actually just okay. But, but the thing here is, uh, it's just fun casting Counterspell. Uh, and it's fun being able now to mix and match all the artworks. I've been so excited to, like, get my paper modern deck back, even though I have nowhere to play it. The thing here is it's just cool to play modern. It, I don't, everything seems pretty fun so far. I don't know if there's like a clear front and runner Hogak just yet, but so far the most impressive thing I I think I've played against is a grief. So cards pretty deece uh, and counter spells pretty fun. Oh, and Vin- Vindicate seen- is, is the truth. I, I love vindicate mostly just because I blew up a Tron land and, and I was like, "Yo, that's cool."
0: <laughs> I I haven't seen as many counter spells as I expected actually, and it might just be that I've been dodging the control matchups. But uh, but are you surprised. winning your games? If you're uh, winning your games, probably that's <laughs> <laughs> Can, counter spells in the losers bracket already. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in
1: the losers bracket usually, so. <laughs> uh.
0: What what about you, Richard? I know you were on the quest for uh for some Modern Horizons two cards over the weekend, and uh, did you actually get them and get to check out the new format?
2: Oh yeah. So I played a lot of Modern this week. I played maybe like eight or nine leagues. <laughs> I yeah. I grind. Right, so I, I opened the wallet. Okay, as Mister Moneybags, I bought my griefs. I bought my Void Walkers. Okay, I I decided to not get the Rogavans because they're like a hundred dollars, but I got like griefs at 50 and void walkers at like 20 or something like that so i was committed I'm like i spent all this money on modern now i gotta get my money's worth by like grinding people who can't afford the new cards so whatever we make of the new meta game big asterisks right the cards are really hard to get the cards are really expensive i don't believe people are playing their optimal decks i ran into like one Rogavan deck which I expect way more, but the card is just so expensive that people can't afford it. And, you know, I, I I griefed my opponent, and then he's like, oh, my God, how'd you get that card? I'm like, I just paid $50 for it, and <laughs> I paid for this match win. Thank you very much. Ephemerate. <laughs> right. uh, pay to
1: win. So, so it was pay literally to pay to win. win.
2: The most junned experience, but uh, the most popular cards I've seen was Asmo. Gora, Phantasm, whatever the... <laughs> Esmor, Esmor, our friend Esmor. As <laughs> the Vengevine deck. I've seen so many Vengevine decks. I've seen uh, so many Crashing Footfall decks uh, using all of the Evoke spells. They, they just like Evoke away and then they, they just make some Crashing Footfalls uh, with a Cascade. Uh, or they uh, use the Evoke spells in Living End. Uh, that kind of variation. Burn, super popular. Urza Saga,
1: extremely impressive.
2: I feel that's probably going to be the most That's broken. the ban card, actually. I, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. So it looks it looks so innocent, but they're just like, I play some janky artifacts. I make like a 5-5 five, five golem, right? And then I make a second 5-5 five, five golem, sack it, get an expedition map, get another one, and they just keep going. And I'm like, how is this like stupid hammer time deck outgrinding me with like these golem tokens? Uh, and it goes in so many types of artifact decks. So I think that card will probably be uh, the broken card, and then I personally have been playing Caldra. Shockingly, I didn't think it would be that good, but it, it's it, it's it's kind of decent. It's like a Tarmogoyf with haste and indestructible and first strike and trample. Uh, so
0: how how big of a problem has been your uh, Stoneforge dying? That was my concern with Caldra, and its battle against Batterskull is like, is it just too risky? Do you just play it and get your Stoneforge killed and then never get to resolve Caldra, or has it actually like worked out for the most part?
2: So, depends. So, you, you obviously get to Grief Ephemerate on turn one, right? So, you, you can clear the way quite easily, or you just do the good old Thoughtseize. Uh, but most of the time, you're grabbing a Sword or a batter skull. You only grab Cauldra if you're sure they can't kill it. Uh, so, if they're playing, like, Tron or something, and you need a fast clock. But even against aggro decks, like, I wouldn't grab the Cauldra, because they'll just outrace you. Uh, so batter skull is usually the play uh, if you think they have removal, but cauldra is good for the unfair matchups where you can just slam it when the windows open and then just end the game in like three turns because uh, it has haste. It's like a whole another turn off the clock. Uh, so it's pretty, it's pretty fast.
0: Yeah, I've been, I've been jumping all over and trying different things. Some stuff, uh, I just posted, uh, first budget magic for the set with, uh, with Squirrel Twin, the, the new Scurry Oak, Ivy Lane, Denizen, uh, Splinter Twin as combo. There's stuff coming up for against that. I don't want to spoil. I've been playing Enchantress. I've been playing Shaman. So I've been just like going from deck to deck and trying a bunch of different interesting stuff. Uh, I have, I have seen grief be very impressive. That's the one card where I've mostly gotten blown out, uh, Uh, By uh, a couple of times now with the Ephemeris synergies. I haven't ran into Urza Saga myself, but looking at the tournament results of the weekend, like our first look at what actual tournament deck looks like, Urza Saga is everywhere. Like the, the modern challenge this weekend, it was actually won by Harden Scales using Zabaz and Urza Saga, which that makes sense. Like it's got a ton of one mana artifacts to tutor up. The shocking part for me was that this is showing up in like Blue White Control, the best performing Blue White Control deck is playing Urza Saga and tossed like a couple of Mishra's Bobbles and Expedition maps in so it'd have something to tutor up with it. Uh, it's showing up like across archetypes, essentially. Primeval Titan decks are tutoring up. Hammer Time, you mentioned, is playing it. So that is the card that I think has made the biggest impact. I think that's a card that when it was first spoiled, it was really exciting, but it was also the super early spoiler. And then we got all these other like super flashy cards, and maybe we forgot a little bit about just how rusted Urza Saga looked when it first came out but uh, it's definitely making its presence felt now. I think that has to be the the biggest winner so far, but this is still super early. I mean, we just got this at as Richard said, supply is definitely an issue, card prices are absurd. Uh some of the best mythics are like $80, $60 and there's a lot of like $10 plus cards where that's just a lot to ask people, especially right now because if you've been playing Magic Online for a while, you know that prices fluctuate a ton. So you always have this fear that you're going to be like, oh, you're going to invest $80 in a single copy of, like, a Mythic. And then a month from now, it's going to be, like, $30 or $5. And you're just going to lose that entire. That's a lot of wins. You got to get a lot of wins in the meantime uh, if your card crashes that much in price. What do you think about the health of Modern as a whole? Like. Is it in a good place right now, or is it still too early to tell? Is there a fear that we're going to have Hogak 2.0 in a broken format based on these cards, or do you think we're going to be
1: good? I don't don't think anything is going to break Modern just yet, but I guess this is a little early. I I mean, Urza's Saga is the closest thing to breaking Modern right now.
2: Yeah, I don't know about broken. So Saga is the best card I've seen, but... Voidwalker, I think, just eradicates entire archetypes. Uh, I've cast so many Eldrazi this weekend. Primeval Titans, (laughs) Emeracles, uh, Ulamogs. And, like, I do better than Tron, right? I cast them on turn three. You know, Tron has to at least get to turn four to cast an Ulamog, right? Uh, And I think that's wrong. (laughs) Like, I I don't know that you should just totally invalidate entire archetypes. No, Uh, I I think you should if it's Tron, though. (laughs) it's like I think they literally have like a twenty percent win rate against me or something. It's like some obscene matchup where like nothing can like you just get a void walker and you thought seize them. And if you didn't draw a void walker, you probably drew the grief and then you just triple thought seize them into oblivion anyways. So I don't I don't know. It, it just feels wrong. Like, am I playing a fair deck if I'm playing Ulamogs on turn three off my opponent? I don't
0: think so. So I mean, it's it your fault right.
2: though. They, yeah, for they, playing
0: they, Tron. They could, yeah, they could not play the Umamog. So uh, just, just desserts, I think. Uh, is yeah. How the saying goes. But how are you doing that? Are you just like playing a bunch of Thought Seizes? Like, is that the deck? Just like play Voidwalker you, and then Thought. You seize literally play Adam?
2: Voidwalker. Do they have interaction for it? They probably don't because they're Tron. And then you just Thought seize them after, and they lose the game. Right. Or you turn one Thoughtseize, make sure you get the, you know, the spatial contortion out of their hand and then you Voidwalker and then you Grief them or whatever. Right. Like it's just so easy to destroy these decks that have like one Haymaker in them uh, with Voidwalker. So I don't I don't know. I, I feel it's wrong. Sa- same with the Grief blind. Right. The Grief Ephemerate is like a turn to Blood Moon, except it works on everyone. If I have those two cards, in my opening hand, you're probably dead. Right, even if you have like a you, you need like to start with a ley line in play, like if you have a veil, sum, veil summer or yeah, veil summer, it's not good enough, right? Because in response to yours, I could just ephemerate and then get whatever card you counter one and then I get another one, right? So the sequencing of these lines, like there's no way to stop it. The only way to stop it is if you have like two lightning bolts in hand, right? And the open mana to take care yeah, of it. But then did you really so. stop anything, right? I don't you yeah. stopped anything if you did that, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, like control so- matchups are hilarious, right? You just yeah. like take counterspell, take Teferi, you know, take Jace if I really care. You're dead, right? You're down three cards. <laughs> you probably <laughs> have three lands in hand. It's over. I have a three-two. It's Delver, right? It's Delver. Except I just precast all my protection spells, and then you just go to town. So I think it's really good. <laughs> I haven't run into it that often, but I think it's it's pricing issues, or or maybe like the. Uh, saga decks are faster and they're just better but I I feel the black cards are really strong yes Uh, and Cauldra powers up Stoneforge Mystic too so I feel the black white shell is actually the best shell for them
1: the, the yeah, matchup I'm, I got paired against Grief, I just kept an all like, pretty much six lands and an opt. <laughs> but like, you're dead, right? That, that,
2: just means, that just means a Stoneforge comes down and drops a skull or a cauldra piece, and you're dead, right? Like, you can't afford that
1: Well, <laughs> the thing here is, like, it, it, I just chance it that I draw into one of my many spot removals. I've changed it because, like, before Esper Control was, like, usually, like, four Fatal Push, right? But now I've gone up to four uh, Path to Exile and three Fatal Push. And then a bunch of removal things that I want to top deck off, like, like in that way I can answer the board. That way I can play around annoying ephemerate <laughs> or try it, to play around it. Otherwise, yeah, I'm like praying to the top deck gods. The grief
0: synergy does feel pretty, pretty unbeatable when it happens. Like, yeah. Blood is not the worst comparison. Like, when you get Thought C is three times, you really you just have to get incredibly lucky to win, which is kind of similar to blood moon. Like sure. If you top deck your few basics, like you're fine and you got them. But in general, if you get triple thought seized off a, off of grief and ephemera, the game is essentially just over. I guess you've been playing the deck, Richard. Like, is it super consistent? I guess that's the question. Like how, how often do you have grief and ephemera? Is it something you're like mulliganing for to try to assemble that? Or it's just like, Oh,
2: it's cool when it happens. I cited out a lot of the games like I like it's basically like if you take so if I remove that part right you're playing a stoneforge deck right you're playing a mid-range deck which is pretty good right it it probably has like a I don't know 45% win rate right and then you add in the 15% of the time where you just jank them out with ephemerate grief and then you add in the other 10% of the time where you just jank them out with void walk or ulamog and then you got a pretty decent deck, right? Like, I feel yeah. like I probably have, like, 60-40 on, like, most decks. Maybe that's too high. 55-45 on most decks, which is the opposite of Jun. Jun is usually, like, your 45-55 against most decks. I feel this deck doesn't have many weaknesses. I feel it's maybe too good of a mid-range deck. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fallback plan is I play Stoneforge and you answer it, which is... A pretty decent plan on itself. So it's not like the whole deck falls apart, right? And I have ephemerates for my Stone Forge, so I can get a batter skull, get a sword with the bounce. And then I'm playing Giraffe's Messenger just for uh, some burn and reach. Shockingly, not bad. So you know, you, you have to have other uses Joralf's for messenger. Sorry. I'm from, playing Giraffe's Messenger. From yes. What
1: from what set was that? Dark Ascension? How many, how many years ago is that?
2: <laughs> Yo, know, okay. Funny thing, <laughs> I I sent you guys a screenshot. I played against uh Siege Rhino and I lost against Siege <laughs> <laughs> Drih. like this this guy, I'm like I started the match the, the like this poor soul probably saw Modern Horizons 2. And, like, decided to get back into modern. Didn't have new cards, so here he is playing Siege Rhino. And then, like, two turns later, I'm getting, like, Lightning Helix multiple times with Blinked Siege Rhino. So I'm like, I can't handle this. I'm dead. Oh, my goodness. And then I died to Siege Rhino, and I felt ashamed.
0: <laughs> what a! What do you think about uh, Is Is that actually a... Uh, As good as people think it is. I know that was a card you were looking for earlier. It's been one of the most hyped cards. It's the most expensive card. I personally have not run into it once. I have not seen it. I haven't (laughs) played it because it costs a million dollars, and I haven't seen anyone else play it. Probably because it costs a ton of money. Uh, Have you? Have any of you seen it in action or actually
1: got to play it? Like, is it going to live up to the hype? I haven't seen it at all, but I definitely—that's a price thing. Yeah, it's
2: definitely a price. I've seen it once. I just think red, like, there's no shell for it. I think that's the problem. I think it's a really strong card, uh, but there's, like, no red mid rangey deck you want to be playing. Like, aggro decks won't play it because they'll just play monasteries with Spear, and Goblin Guides and stuff. Like, Jund would play it, but I think the rest of Jund sucks, and Raghavans <laughs> are very expensive, so I, I don't know what deck would actually run it. And a lot of times in modern, you don't want your opponent's card if you have to cast mana for it. Right? It's good if you're playing like say uh Vintage or Legacy where everyone's deck is the same pile of blue cards and you will take all their cards. Here, like if I flip an Ulamog off of Ragamon, I'm not casting that. I can't do anything about that, right? If I flip a goblin guide or something, I guess I could cast it as a terrible <laughs> blocker, but like that's not what I'm looking for. So it's just the ramp and like some card advantage in like certain matchups. Uh, but I just think it doesn't have a shell. Like I don't know what deck you put it in, such that It's good and uh, yeah maybe maybe that's
0: something that's just going to take a little bit of time like there's other very strong stuff that i haven't really seen much of yet like the reanimation package that's something i haven't seen too much uh we were talking about red aggro decks and how those are going to shake out i haven't seen any like enchantress decks yet i don't know how strong those are going to be the green storm stuff maybe that's all just for commander but i haven't seen that at all so i feel like we've seen a lot of the most obvious decks there's some decks where it's like hey i can throw this madness card in with my hollow ones and that's probably gonna work out really well or like oh cauldra that's an equipment i can get it with my Stone Forge. i might as well try that but i feel like there's still a lot more to be explored with this set and so far we've mostly seen upgrades to existing decks rather than rather than some of the new decks that i think have potential i don't know did you <laughs> did you guys happen to see uh sam black's article uh sam helped with uh making the set wizards in like testing cards and he he wrote an article about his experiences and apparently they had to nerf squirrels that was uh that was what stood out to me like when he got there squirrels i guess were like super busted and he had to talk wizards into powering down the squirrel tribe because uh, he, they were going to break modern. They're just too good.
1: <laughs> Sa- Sam Black denying us the broken squirrel deck in modern. Why?
0: <laughs> it's just hilarious to me that <laughs> they were broken at one point. <laughs> what, what, apparently, what did they do
2: pre-nerve. How could you break it with like one-one creatures? Interesting. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. So, well, modern is sweet. I have greatly enjoyed playing it. And I, I mean, I'm still just super hyped. I, even though it's been a few days, I still feel like there's a ton to explore in this set in, uh, in coming weeks and months. And it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. We are just in the infancy of our postmodern horizons two format. So long ways to go. Many things to still figure out, but we got other formats to talk about too. Uh, in Richard first, do you have a sponsor today?
2: I think we may have a sponsor today. All right. Today's episode is brought to you by NordVPN. NordVPN secures your internet and protects your data. So if you're like me and you use your laptop at a coffee shop or an airport, you don't want people stealing your Caldra tech, you know, the Stoneforge mystic Culdra secrets. Uh, NordVPN keeps your connection secure and safe without sacrificing speed. They have thousands of servers in over 60 plus countries, and they have a strict no logging policy. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to use NordVPN to watch Netflix to watch shows from other countries at no additional cost. So go to NordVPN.com slash MTG Goldfish or use the coupon code MTG Goldfish to get a two-year plan plus one additional month at a huge discount. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you've got nothing to lose. So that's NordvPN.com slash Goldfish or use code MTG Goldfish. So thank you, NordVPN, for sponsoring today's episode.
0: So, this weekend was the Strixhaven Championship, which I I think is roughly the equivalent of a pro tour. Hard to keep up on the names these days. We got a full weekend of Magic. We got a top eight that was historic. Richard, what did did it look like? What went down at the Strixhaven Championship?
2: All right. The Steam Vents Championship happened. (laughs) Um turns out when you put brainstorm into a format people will figure out how to make brainstorm really good even if there are no fetches and uh historic was just dominated with uh blue red decks uh and you know i think seven of eight of the top eight uh and we had blue red mirrors all throughout the top eight and then eventually surprise the events won the championship that was my takeaway after learning about the event Literally like four hours after it started due to Wizards Impressive <laughs> Marketing. <laughs> I I, th- I think that it was actually all blue-red decks in the top eight. I mean, I guess there's some
0: Jeskai decks mixed in, but there's still Steam Vents decks. Uh, looking over the deck list, I believe the top eight had one missing brainstorm, or else every single player would have been playing a playset. So what, 31 out of 32 possible brainstorms? Also, uh, quite a few faithless suitings, although I think brainstorm is number one right now. I don't know what I think about this format. Uh, I've seen some of the pros talking about it today on social media after their tournament this weekend. They seem to think it's kind of a, a one or two deck meta and you got to play one of the one of the is it decks essentially to be competitive in the format. Krim, you play a lot of historic. Uh, what do you think about where the historic meta is at right now? Are we to the point where it's time to do something about Brainstorm? no. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because, like,
2: I, look, look, look. Will Crib ever nerf a blue card? If Holgok was blue,
1: Crib would be the champion of Holgok. No, but like, okay, here we are. This this is why I've enjoyed brainstorm in the format. When I get thought seized, I can tuck it away, right? I've I've really enjoyed that interaction. So, I mean, I even think brainstorm can come into modern. I'm just kidding. We can't even have preordained what we're we gonna worry about. Gonna, <laughs> but but the thing is, like, in historic, I felt like brainstorm has been an absolute delight to have. Uh being able to tuck away your stuff from thought seizes to you know hide your spells. See, you know, like I it adds a lot of play to your matches. Uh, I, I, I think that the 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 Phoenix deck looks a little like intimidating only because there's just so many cheap spells. It's a critical mass of them. Uh, so that's why I, I don't think it's just like brainstorm is the problem here. It's the fact that you know Phoenix just has so many solid cheap spells, and we don't even have Path to Exile. If Path to Exile were something in this format, like it'd be great, right? But we don't, so it's not like Fatal Push can stop Stormwing Entity, and and you know Fatal Push doesn't permanently stop the the Arc Light. However. Uh, I mean, I noticed that maybe just because a lot of people weren't playing blue-black control, because I played blue-black control and I always beat the Phoenix decks, so I don't, I don't see the issue here. So, but there, there must be some matchup where blue-black is bad because the pros just don't play it, and I'm very curious as to why.
2: Yeah. So the exact breakdown of top eight is five Jeskai turns two is it Phoenixes and one Jeskai control. Right. So those are how the steam vents break down for the top eight. And I've heard the pros say like the the black base decks like destroy the turns decks, right? But it's probably against the rest of the field. But I mean, at the rest of the field of this uh, pro tour it was all Jeskai anyway,
1: yeah. <laughs> or is it so, or Jeskai?
2: So but, I don't and, know and who's I, worried about Thoughtseize
1: in this meta here. <laughs> You're more I, I'm, worried. I'm about also the way, well. I'm also uh, the playing the Thought Distortion and Thoughtseize, and I'm I've been having the time of my life. So like I'm just like what what is the problem here? I don't understand what people are afraid of. Like Thought Distortion <laughs> pants is half like almost that entire deck, like that entire field. I mean, I didn't see a single like commit anywhere in here. So but, but
2: you're still playing brainstorm, right? Oh yeah, of course. Brainstorm's great. Yeah. So it's still cool. a one card meta, right? Yeah, it's just but, what, but, what color are you pairing with your brainstorm? Would you like a little Damir action or a little brainstorm is it action? Is
1: good. Brainstorm is I, good. I, I think I, it's I, it's no different to me than like it's a counterplay like, like I, I think all the colors have their one drop, like you know, pillar spells. I mean, green, green just has whatever gets printed. But the thing here is, like the, the thing is, like brainstorm ha- is there for blue, red has faithless looting, black has thought sees, white has. W- divine gambit and uh so <laughs> but right now we're working we're gonna look, look one step at a time okay we're gonna get path eventually i hope i think brainstorm is a fine card in in, in historic right now and that and and i am the blue player but the thing is i think that it actually adds a lot of depth to the format it may it may feel like oh everyone plays brainstorm but i mean that's because it's true but it is a it's just Fun. It's I don't know. I, I love that kind of magic. So I am all for it. And and Arclight Phoenix, Jess Turns, all those decks, whatever. Like I I don't know why. Like, okay, I genuinely want to ask the pros why don't you play blue black? Why aren't you playing blue black? Why why because like on I, every time I played against those decks with blue black, it's been one-sided. <laughs> I I don't know if blue
0: black control is uh, is the answer that most magic players are looking for. Like, oh, you can beat the Jeskai
1: control decks if you're blue black control. Yeah, um, I, I broke, <laughs> I, I legitimately broke arena trying to do um, the Silmgar's command and Mystic Sanctuary bounce. Uh, and so, <laughs> I mean, granted, it, like, I, I, th- I think on stream, I, t- it was the slowest climbing of the ladder. I, it took me a full, like, I think 40 minutes to win one game pretty much. Not, not really 40 minutes, but like it, it, I just kept bouncing my, my my mystic sanctuary back and forth and countering non-creature spells. It was great. I mean, if you actually
0: look at uh, beyond the top eight of this tournament, I think. That brainstorm's gotta go. Hopefully, hopefully sooner rather than later. Like if you no. go to mtgoldfish.com, we have the whole, we have the whole meta. You can see all the decks that are played. If you go to the top hundred performing decks, these are decks that went down. Well, let's start with like the top. These are decks that went six and one or better. There's one Selesnia company. There's one five color Niv deck. Everything else is the Jeskai is at piles. And even if you go to the top hundred decks at this tournament and go through the whole list, there's, I guess, a Teamer Marvel in there. There's one Jun Food deck, another Niv-Mizzet deck. But really, essentially, every single one of the top-performing decks is one of these decks. I guess there's a Grixis control that's almost Blue-Black control that snuck in at five and two. But the metagame was essentially just all one card in all one deck. I don't know. That doesn't sound all that appealing for me. Like, I think Brainstorm is a really fun card to resolve. But... It's also a broken card. It gets, it gets by in legacy because it's been grandfathered in, even though legacy players know that it probably shouldn't be part of the format, but it's never gonna, it's never gonna go because it's just synonymous with legacy. Historic doesn't have that luxury at this point. It's only been in the format for like a couple months. I mean, I guess I'm gonna be playing modern. So <laughs> if you'll wanna, wanna muck around for a while with brainstorms, <laughs> but hopefully by the time I'm interested in, <laughs> Moving away from Modern and playing Historic again, I will be hoping for it to be banned because Jeskai Turns versus Phoenix versus Jeskai Control, ugh, that does that does not sound like the kind of meta I would uh, enjoy all that much.
2: So everyone Demir! forgets about the <laughs> other side of Legacy, right? We all look at Legacy like, oh, the great format, right? But we all forget, it. it's a brainstorm format. It's a one-color format, right? Yes, there are other colors, but there's clearly a best color in Legacy, and it's very imbalanced and people who love legacy accept that, right? They accept that, yes, one color is vastly superior than the other colors and we're playing it. I don't know that we want that for historic or modern or, you know, some of these other formats where you get a chance to play different strategies, right? Strategies that don't necessarily need to say interact only on the stack, strategies that don't cast brainstorm. Uh, So I don't know how I feel about this for historic. I I think you want more variety, Uh, But, you know, you could change it into Legacy where every deck starts blue-based and still have, like, a pretty good metagame, right? It's just, you know, the blue-black deck versus the blue-red deck versus the blue-white deck. But, you know, it's all (laughs) blue still. So, I don't know.
0: I feel like if that's the direction you go, then you got to greatly improve the mana. Because one of the things that makes it, I think, still be fun in Legacy is because you have original dual lands and because you have fetch lands... There's still a lot of diversity even among brainstorm decks. Like there's there's a lot of difference between some sort of like ban- mid range Knight of the Reliquary style deck and like is it Delver or Miracles? But they're all still blue based brainstorm decks that are playing you know Force of Will, playing the brainstorms, kind of the blue package in the format. I feel like it's going to be harder for. There to be diversity among Brainstorm decks in a format like Historic, where you're just very restricted by your mana. You can't be, oh, just be, you know, four colors, and it's all going to work out, and I can still just splash my Brainstorms, because we just don't have that good of mana. So, I don't know. I I don't know if Historic could actually function the way that Legacy does and still be fun, I think you'd end up with this, like, default of, like, blue-black control versus blue-white control versus Jeskai control or whatever, and and just have all the control decks, like, <laughs> battle it out with, uh, you know, a different splash color for their finishers, or a little bit different removal, but the same, like, core, core of the deck, which, I don't know, that doesn't seem all that interesting to me.
2: What, what about the other cards? Uh do, do we care about, like, time warp? Do we care about... Memory Lapse, maybe? Uh, and, any of these other cards, or are we just strictly talking Brainstorm?
1: I, I think eventually people are going to work their way to that. I uh, Right now, the, pro- the, the problem of the week is currently Brainstorm. I don't think it is. But, yeah. like, yeah, like, uh, eventually they'll find... Uh, everyone will work their way towards a new card that will just be powerful. And, I mean, I think Memory Lapse is really good, but I don't even... Play four of them. I play like three or two or something like that, unless I have a deck that can back it up with a clock. So, I do. You, it, so, if this goes, does Faithless Looting go next? I mean, I would, I would have brainstorm
0: number number one right now as far as potential changes to historic. I would probably have Faithless Looting second behind it. I think part of the reason maybe why we haven't seen more Faithless Lootings is because Brainstorm is Faithless Looting plus for a lot of decks. And I think if you did end up banning Brainstorm, then you would probably see a lot more decks go ahead and play the Faithless Looting. Like, uh, yeah, it kind of surprises me looking at like Sam Party's Jeskai Turns deck, which is trying to Mystics Mastery Time Warps. It's not even playing Faithless Looting. It's playing Brainstorms and Expressive Iterations. Faithless Looting seems like and auto-include in that deck to me. Like, that seems so obvious. Like, oh, I discard my Time Warp, and I reanimate it with Mizzix Mastery. So I feel like if you ban Brainstorm, there would be a lot of just direct replacements where, oh, now my Brainstorm is Faithless Looting, and it's it's good enough to keep my deck running. And, and then I would say that stuff like Time Warp, uh, Mizzix Mastery is another one that I think has had a a really huge impact on the format like that might just be too good for the format being able to cast a we've seen ultimatums we've seen dragon storms we've seen extra turn spells pretty consistently on like turn three ish if you build your deck around it that's pretty frightening time warp I guess could be on the list I don't know memory lapse for me is pretty far down my list but I'd be starting with brainstorm followed by faithless looting followed by mizzix mastery I think for my historic watch list at this point
1: I haven't thought time warp was a problem, <laughs> like at all. <laughs> I mean, you do also even...
0: always have counter spells, Grim.
1: <laughs> that I mean, that may be true, but like you know, like that—that that isn't enough to just beat a time warp, right? I I think maybe people are like also like it is possible that people are just countering the wrong spells when it comes to like the time warp decks. The time warp always resolves. It's <laughs> you're, the you're assuming,
2: you're, you're assuming there's a counter spell to be played in case any of these cards, Grim. What if you're not playing a counter spell?
1: Right, uh, and the thing here is, so if I answer the Velmachus, right, like that, that's that's what I mean. Like, I, I'm not countering the the extra turn spell. My extra turns opponents always take like a hundred turns. I just kill their Velomachus, and then and then I just don't care about whatever else they do.
0: I think the the question's got to be though, like, can non counter spell decks compete?
1: Like, yeah,
0: I'm yeah, sure I, you I, can beat you those decks, but if need, like,
1: you don't need a counter spell to kill Velamakus. I'm talking about like kill Velimachus, like the good old gotcha, heartless act. Like, 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 like you know what I mean? Like interaction. That, that uh-huh. is... But like, what do you,
2: like they just counter your kill spell, you thought seize them, they brainstorm their stuff away. Like, there's, a, I think there's a little imbalance. I think if you want to fight this deck, you need to play blue cards. I, I feel non-blue decks just have to like play solitaire and go off. And try to win first. But I don't well, think you can interact with this. It's, like, really difficult to interact lo- with look this. Look at the
1: non-blue decks in the format, though. The non-blue decks have, I guess, very weird interactions. So, like, the Selesnia deck is a popular deck, right? Uh, but the Selesnya deck doesn't actually have any main deck ways to kill that card. O- other, than, other than, like, uh, out of the sideboard, where finally they get to, like, have giant killer and stuff like that. But, uh, like... I think that if decks tune themselves a little bit more to answer Velomachus, like, the opponent can take as many turns as they want, right? Because they're, they're at that point, their ways of beating you are to make a shark token. And, you know what I mean? Like, and Velomachus is how they legitimately take tons and tons of turns.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's just been a pretty major upheaval. We've been focusing on Modern and how much things are going to change for Modern Horizons, but it is – Pretty stunning just, like, how different Historic is now than it was before And Like, uh, the Boggles deck, basically not a deck anymore. Celesnia Gruel can't really play him anymore. Sacrifice, can't really play it anymore. Even Arcana stacks are pretty much, like, not a thing anymore. So a lot of the, like, former top tier of the meta doesn't seem to be super playable in the current meta and what's going on which not that that's a bad thing i do like the historic changes a lot i guess i just wish that there was more diversity i feel like this tournament in specific makes it look like you kind of got to play blue-red, uh, maybe adding a splash color to be competitive in Historic. And I don't know if we want Historic to be a place where you have to play specific colors to compete. Like, uh, do you have any concern with that, Grim? Like, do you think you you have to be a blue deck to compete? Or do you actually think that, like, the Gruels and Slesnias of the world can keep up with, like, Phoenix, the turns deck, Jeskai Control at the top of the meta?
1: Well, I mean, I I think you can if you... Like prepare for a few of these decks. Like I play four fries out of any deck that doesn't play because you know being able to blow up a red or a blue or white thing, Velimachus, is uh is pretty important. So I think you can. It's just a lot of decks have to tune differently. Uh and and like cause I, I I won with like Naya tokens, right? Like Naya tokens in the format. <laughs>
0: and. <laughs> I mean, it is important to say that this is this was a pro tour meta. Not necessarily the right. same as what you will play at Platinum on the Ladder or whatever. Right. You know, whatever you're playing. So your experience might be a little bit different. Um, right. I still think that that brainstorm's probably gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think you're I don't think you're gonna pro sell tour's me. On big enough, right? it. it's,
2: it's not like worlds where there's like eight people, right? We have like hundreds of competitors right so if this follows the trend where people watch pro tours and then they just mimic it on ladder uh prepare for a lot of jeskai decks on ladder however i want to ask you guys what do you think modern horizons has to do with this do you think people are still interested in historic and they'll play historic uh given modern horizons is out and people want to get back into modern or do you think they're actually separate like if you bought into arena you'll just stick on arena uh, or do you think most of the historic players are actually like grizzled old modern players, and they're like waiting for the
1: chance to jump back into modern? I I, I think Ooh. historic and and modern are different enough, and because uh, the first off the cost of everything modern horizons right now is just really off putting, and then of course there's the the amount of fun I can have with modern is definitely capped because like horizon it just I don't know it feels like it's capped because. I can't stand Moto <laughs> like so, uh, like after after being so conditioned to see Arena, the bells and whistles and 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 whatnot. Like, and sure, Arena has its bugs and it definitely has its eco, like econ flaws and stuff like that too. I just can't stand Moto's interface.
0: <laughs> I think for me, it really depends on the player. I think it'll matter to some extent because if you like, if you look at. Me, for example, I'm someone who jumps from format to format based on, like, what I'm feeling, the new set that's coming out. I expect that I will play almost exclusively, well, not exclusively, but mostly modern over the next couple of months. And I would be surprised if I played much historic at all over the next couple of months. And I'm sure there's other players like me who are like, well, standard sucks. We know Modern Horizons 2 is coming out in another month. What format do I got to play right now? I'm going to, you know, play a bunch of Historic. I'm sure there will be other people who switch over. I don't think that means those players are going to leave Historic forever. Uh, and they'll probably come back, you know, once the newness of Modern Horizons wears off. Uh, and, and I also think there are some people who are just locked into their client, more or less. There are some people who only play Arena, have never played Magic Online, or like Krim, don't really like Magic Online, even though they played it. And those people, I don't think, are many of them, at least, are going to take the plunge and, like, learn Modo, specifically for Modern Horizons, it will be interesting to see if Paper Magic returning matters. Like, that's something that's actually actually happening now. There's people that are doing back pre-release events for Strixhaven and Zendikar Rising at their local game stores because they're finally being able to reopen. So, that might be the bigger thing for Historic, is maybe Paper Magic, even, like, Modern, and also, like, Commander, and just, like, going to an FNM at your LGS because you've been up inside for the last year and a half that might be competing with historic a little bit but yeah it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out i think it really depends on on the individual though and how they engage with the game all right so we got we got one more topic we got to get to before fish mail and it is a interesting one and a new one so just this morning wizards published an article called secret layer universes beyond update uh kind of looks like a string of magic buzzwords from the past year just mash them all together and that's the article richard why don't you give us the tldr of uh what this article is saying
2: all right tldr is universes beyond update they will uh be putting mechanically equivalent in magic versions of cards six months after release into the list which is the random set of reprints uh that uh, they put into set boosters and these cards will be considered equivalent meaning uh it'll, it'll be like the ikoria setup or something like that where they might have different names but they're considered the same thing uh so they will be having exclusive secret layers but they will reprint the magic version approximately six months in quotes Uh, after the release in Secret Lair in the list.
0: Wait. So, what? So, basically, so, basically... So basically, I think my version of this is they're. My going TLDR to make, did not work. Go Seth. They, all right, I'll give the TLDR of Richard's TLDR. <laughs> the the second TLDR is they're gonna make more Walking Dead style secret layers with unique cards that do not have a magic version. But within six months of printing those secret layers, they're going to print magic versions, kind of like the Godzilla skin type thing. Magic versions of those cards, and they're gonna be printed on the list in set boosters, and those cards will be the same. So you can't play four of your Walking Dead card and then four of the magic version reprint. Or kind of like, Godzilla is probably the best example. You can't play four of your actual Godzilla card and then four of the magic name version of the Godzilla card. You can only play four total copies. Basically, this is Wizards I think trying to listen to you the feedback a little bit that people don't like unique cards and secret layers. That was a big concern that I personally had is not universes beyond, but just printing any cards as unique cards and secret layers. If one of them actually becomes a tournament staple or a combo piece gets printed as set in the future and it becomes in demand, that could be a big problem. Reprinting those cards as magic cards seems like a good solution. My problem with it is the list is just not a real reprinting. Like, I was I I did a finance update this weekend, and the list version of Tulane is like two thousand dollars, and that doesn't mean anyone's paying two thousand dollars. But the supply is so low. There's like ten copies listed on the entire internet, sold out most places, and the people that do have them have them listed for the cheapest one I found was one on eBay for two hundred dollars, and the other ones were a thousand plus dollars on TCD and on eBay. Card Kingdom sold out, so the list just does not offer very much supply. So I feel like this maybe just does lip service to what the community wants. Like, Wizards knew that we didn't like unique secret lair drops, and we they knew we wanted magic versions of those cards, so they're kind of doing it, but they're doing it in, like, such a low-supply way that I'm afraid what's actually going to happen is we're going to have, like, really expensive collectible secret lair versions of cards and then equally expensive or even more expensive magic versions of those same cards that are only released on the list. So I feel like Wizards made it, like, 75% of the way towards where I'd want them to go. If they were putting them in standard sets or commander pre-cons or even master sets or something, uh, Modern Horizon style sets, I'd be much more comfortable with it. My concern is just the list is just not put many cards in circulation. So I don't know if this actually solves the concern of printing unique cards and secret layers, and then having one of those cards take off and be in demand and spike in price. I think you're still going to have to deal with that issue. Even with the list, adding a few extra copies to the market. I give this uh, sorry, a 1% little rant solution.
2: 1%. <laughs> I, I, I think this I'm, is terrible, but go ahead. Crew.
1: Okay. Well, hold on. I like the, the announcement itself is like, I'm happy that they're going to reprint all this stuff. I, and like, much like Seth yeah. had mentioned, it's pretty awful that it's going to be in the list. Also, what is the list again? Like I, the list is like a bunch of cards. I remember that's, that. Well, it's the list of cards that randomly yeah. come in a set booster, and, and and it's only in the set booster, right? It's you, I have clearly gotten very lost along the way how things are released. <laughs> so I I
0: think I need to do a video about this because many people are confused on Twitter as well. But the list is. Only in set boosters. It is a rotating list of cards. And actually, I, you don't play Moto as much rotate? as I do. It reminds me of it reminds me of treasure chests on Magic Online. It's just like a curated list of cards that they update every set, and there is some small percent chance that when you open a set booster, you could get one of these cards. They're all reprints. Some of them are really valuable, some of them are not, but you don't get one in every pack, and they are weighted by rarity, so your odds of getting like a mythic card from the list is pretty low. It takes, I think, hundreds of boxes to get any individual mythic, but your odds of getting a card from the list, I think. It's one in four packs will have a card of some type from the list on it.
1: Oh yeah, that, yeah. Okay, that would. Ex- that's right. I remember I got a pack of like Kaldheim or something, and I found a random I don't know Alara <laughs> Mirrodin card thing. or something. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why? Yeah. yeah that, <laughs> that was that was this the, the worst thing ever?
2: Because people open, they're like, was there an error in my package? Why do I have a random Odyssey card in my Kaldheim pack? Right. Um, but like Seth said, it's a list of 300 cards, 25 percent chance of appearing in a sat booster. And from doing EV calculations, like they add no value to the packs. And there are some very expensive cards, which means the probability of opening these cards is very low, which means the supply for this uh, is very low. And like Seth said, it's treasure chests for Moto, And we all know that cards that are released through treasure chests exclusively are super expensive. Um, But the reason I just like this is this solution is made for enfranchised players, right? It's made for people like you and me. It's not made for casuals because casuals don't care about this and they'll just buy the secret lair. Six months is like forever, right? Six months does not count. Like imagine what the metagame will go through in six months, right? Are you really going to wait six months to build your commander deck? Are you going to play a suboptimal legacy deck for six months? like no right it, it just doesn't count you're just gonna buy the secret lair anyway and you're gonna play with Gandalf or whatever even if you don't like Gandalf so I, I don't know what the point This I feel Wizards should have just held their line and just said yeah we're gonna make exclusive cards right and and that's it what I'm hoping doesn't happen is they're like look these cards are accessible to everyone now because they're in the list six months after let's go nuts with mechanically unique cards. I really hope it doesn't open the door for that. I'm really scared of that because to me, the six month later in the list thing like is BS. Like you're better off just buying the secret layer version if you think you you want it because it will probably be cheaper. and you'll get it six months ahead of time and you get to play with it instead of waiting forever. and then there's like no supply in the market. and you paying a handful a fistful of money anyway.
0: Yeah, I think that is a bit of a concern. The one thing I will say that I do like about it is having a magic version of the card does get around some IP issues for future reprints. Like, let's say they print, I don't know, Gandalf as a secret layer card, and then they print magic version of Gandalf on the list. In the future, they could print the magic version of Gandalf in a standard set or something, because I've heard there's some, like, weird IP issues. Like, I, I learned over the weekend, apparently, that, like, Magic artists can't sell their original art of Godzilla cards because of IP issues. Like they, you always see the auctions for like original magic art. But when it comes to other companies' IPs, then there's actually like a lot of issues there. So I don't know if Wizards has the, the rights to be able to reprint like the Walking Dead cards. I don't know if they could put those in Modern Horizons too, if they wanted to. So that is one small benefit, but still I have a lot of concerns about how this is all going to end up from what Richard said about wizards, just going ham and printing like a ridiculous amount of exclusive cards. Cause I think it's safe now uh, to like just supply issues of the list. Cause it's so hard to find the rarer cards on the list. Wizards did say they're going to be show up more frequently than they normally would on the list, but we just, we don't know what that means. Like if you're getting one every pack or something, sure. Maybe that's fine. But my guess is it's somewhat more frequent than non universes beyond cards uh, but still not enough to really matter when you consider how scarce the list cards are yeah
2: and and we know like this this will be a problem like i don't know why people think it's going to be okay given what wizard said it's like you don't make cards that people don't want right like there, there, there's no value in like oh we'll make buy a box promos but we won't make them too good We'll make sure they suck so no one wants them, thus defeating the purpose of the buy-a-box promo, right? No, you make them good so that everyone wants them, and then they skyrocket in price, right? Like, these universes beyond cards will be good. You cannot make, like, a Spider-Man card and have it suck, right? Like, the 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 IP owners won't like it, you know, it'll damage all this stuff, so it will be a good card, right? Hopefully... It's a good card for only commander, question mark. But even then, like, if you're a commander player, you want this card. You're going to go get it, right? Uh, legacy players, if it's a good card and they don't want it, like, they have to buy it anyway. So I, I don't like this argument of, like, oh, you know, we'll keep the mechanically unique cards not too good. Like, why would they actively make bad cards? They wouldn't, right? They would make good, desirable cards, right? And then you will need them. and End of story, right? So I, I, I think this is a problem.
0: I think it gets even worse with universes beyond too, because you can't you can't take someone's classic IP like Lord of the Rings or whatever and just make crappy versions of their cards. No one's no one's <laughs> yeah, going to that. Man one. One. That's all he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like there's no, you just you just can't do that. People would not be happy with that. So that is that is a a big concern I think for universes beyond in specific. And we've already seen wizards uh, like on top of that. Wizards doesn't necessarily have the ability to control power levels as much as they want. Do we saw like Nexus of Fate or even Kenrith were cards that came out after Wizards directly said like the idea of buy a box promos is they're not going to be playable. And then like two sets later, we're getting like the best card in standard as a buy a box promo, whether Wizards did that like intentionally and, or they just, I think maybe they didn't realize that Nexus was going to be as good as it actually was. But even if they do intend to not make the cards too broken, that doesn't mean you're not going to get a skull clamp or a Nexus or Fate or something that ends up being really playable, even if that is Wizard's goal. So, definitely a a risky system, I think, of printing cards. And for me, again, this is 100% not about Universes Beyond. It's just about how they're printing cards. Like, my feelings would be exactly the same if they were like, hey, we're going to print new you know, our return to Kamigawa secret lairdrop with exclusive cards that are going to be legal in Legacy and Commander uh, and we're going to only release it through a secret lairdrop. I would have uh, you know, many of the same exact concerns of just like, not being enough supply out there and just like the risks of card prices getting really out of whack. Anyway, any other thoughts on uh, on universes beyond secret layers or should we hit up a couple fish mail on the way out the door today?
2: Let's fish mail it up. If you have questions, send them to at mggoldfish with the hashtag mgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. At the Big Large. With the recent opening of the Marvel campus at Disney California Adventure, what kind of rides slash attractions slash food would you like to see at an MTG-themed area of a theme park? is the food court.
1: That's all I know. (laughs) is the food court. That's simple as that.
0: (laughs) What would would be a good good ride for an MTG? (laughs) For an MTG-themed food uh, theme park.
1: Oh, my gosh. You want to know a true scary ride that they can put at at, at, uh, an MTG theme park? They call it 2019 Ford Magic. And (laughs) and it's going to be the scariest ride of all time (laughs) because (laughs) it's going to have so many ups and downs and swirls and twirls and random (laughs) surprises. It would be great.
0: <laughs> they, they could have like a like a little kid's merry-go-round that has actual like vehicles. <laughs> like sm- you can ride on a smuggler's bumper copter cars? or a heart of Kieran. Bumper yeah, bumper cars with vehicles. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. See, so we'll have, we'll have the 2019 magic ride. We'll have uh, the vehicles bumper cars ride. And then, uh, and then we have the food court called like Oko's or something like that, right? <laughs> and it'll be written in like the old, old school, like, like diner font. You know what I mean? So, like,
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, ginger boots. You can get your, uh, your ginger boot cookies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <ginger laughs> would be good.
2: Ah. I I want to see the Jurassic World type ride. It's like the Jund ride. You just go a little little raft. You float down your little river and there's like a Tarmogoyf, like an animatronic Tarmogoyf there getting destroyed by (laughs) Death Shadow or something. right? (laughs) And then then the the, the thing just abruptly ends as like Ulamog smashes your car. And then that's it. Um, Ulamog would... That'd be a fun thing.
1: The Eldrazi would just be like the... Definitely the like, you know, the T-Rex ride and all that stuff. Yeah. Asking Flower 2-8, do you think they should do
2: something about life gain decks in Historic, especially Best of 1? I play against it at least every other match, and it's uh, at least a very frustrating gameplay, and it's very hard to beat with creature-based decks.
0: Ooh, uh, that uh, does not sound super fun. I don't play that much Best of 1. I, my initial reaction is going to be, oh, just play some sideboard hate cards, but maybe, maybe that doesn't actually work in Best of 1. Krim, you play it more than I do. Uh... How how would you fight the life gain decks in historic and best of one? Believe it or not,
1: I also play creature decks in best of one. And hmm. the way I, I think the the main thing here is you just got to be prepared for the soul warden, uh, soul warden and the valkyrie are the biggest ones. Uh, and and outside of that, have a a good old like ferocidon or now with Tarkus command can p- uh, potentially set you up for a winning turn. So only apply enough. Like, I guess you need red because Roiling Vortex, all that stuff, it, it, it's all in red. So if you can get access to red, then that's how you would do it creature base wise. Other than that, I mean, I don't know what other creature decks there are that aren't like playing those cards themselves. So like Selesnia, like, you know, mid range or Coco, all of that. And then if you're playing like uh, like Merfolk, you'll probably have like counter spells and stuff like that, too.
2: All right, last question. Eleven Vicious with all the different Modern Horizons two products coming out, what do you think this will do to the price of singles? Will the card prices drop like standard, or will the price tag per box too high? Or is the price box price tag per box too
1: high to make a difference? I I still think the the price tag per box like maybe maybe right now when the hype is at its highest and everyone's like buying in and whatnot and like yeah sure cards are absurdly priced but. I feel like at some point, those boxes are just going to be too much.
0: I think as far as singles, I know, Richard, you've been uh, like working on some Set EV stuff over the weekend for the site, and... Uh, the EV right now is absurdly high, which uh, means prices got to come down a lot. So, my guess is that the prices of singles is going to drop a huge, huge amount over the next few weeks. Like, I think a lot of cards are going to be worth half of what they are now. So, uh, sure, some of the chase cards are still going to maintain value, but current prices are way, way, way higher than the EV would suggest they can man- uh, maintain. So, my advice would be if you're thinking about getting singles uh wait a couple weeks wait the set doesn't actually release officially until the 18th so we're still technically in this weird long pre-sale period so i'd be looking at least after the 18th maybe the end of the month the beginning of july is when i would hopefully uh be expecting to see prices drop a bit and that would probably be the time when i would be looking to start picking up the singles that i need so just be a little bit patient prices have got to come down a lot from where they're at currently
2: yeah, I, I think with all these weird products and printings, like people just don't know how to price cards anymore. The current EV of a pack is $25. Putting your box at $900 EV, right? That's obviously far too high. And I don't think that's correct. Like I don't, you know, a, a box right now is about 200 bucks, uh, 210 or something on Amazon. I don't think it's going to reach up to $700 or something to reach equilibrium. Uh, that means single prices will crash all the way down such that the box EV is closer to 210. So that means singles have a lot uh, of room to go down. Like not every card can be super expensive, right? You can't have all the fetches and Raghavan and all the evoke spells and Urza style. You can't have all these things be expensive, even though they're really good, right? Some of them have to come down in price. So I think we got to wait a bit more. Uh, I think one thing I need to do is check the EV of like previous sets and how long it takes for the price to decay back down to like some acceptable range. Uh, And that would be the time to to buy singles Uh, for for the new cards for things like fetches and things. It's probably going to remain pretty stable. Yeah, fetches are
0: still going to be fine. I mean, uh, Strixhaven had a pretty positive EV. Not as uh, much surplus value as Modern Horizons 2, but it was still, I think, Collector's Boosters in specific were like $600, $650 around this time, like right before the set released. Uh Now, Collector Booster EV is down to like $308 when you can buy them for around $250, which is about right. So that's the normal normal progression. And by those numbers, that would mean price has got to drop a
2: ton for Modern Horizons, too. All right. That's all the fish mail we have for this week. So thank you to everyone who sent in questions. If you have questions, send them to at MGGoldfish with the hashtag MGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe
0: that brings us to the end of episode 332 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will be back next week to talk about whatever goes down in the world of magic. So, until then, everyone, have an amazing week. And this is the crew signing out.